0: Welcome to Uncovered, the podcast series that goes behind the headlines to give you an in-depth look at the stories that matter. I'm Kelly Crichton and on each episode of Uncovered I'm joined by the national world reporters who are working to bring information to light and hold those in power accountable. We'll be revealing the journalistic work that goes into the team's investigations and highlighting some important stories we think you need to know about, but have gone uncovered in the wider media. Today, I'm joined by Ethan Schoen, investigative reporter with National World, to talk about his series of articles highlighting the influence of the gambling lobby within Westminster. Hi, Ethan. Before we go any further, can you explain what we mean by the gambling lobby?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, to put it, I suppose, to put it very simply, lobbying is just trying to convince someone of something. So kind of generally that someone will be in a position of power or influence. Um, you know, so like in this case, we'll be talking about members of parliament. Um, but the something can be can be anything. What we're generally interested in is corporate lobbying. So when companies try and kind of exert some influence over, um, M- over MPs. So th- there are obviously a lot of different kind of interest groups um you know whether that's companies themselves um who try to kind of lobby directly or whether it's bodies that are set up to represent a certain uh, sector or a certain industry um all these different interest groups in many cases at least put significant resources you know we're talking about over you know over a year tens hundreds of thousands of pounds if not more into lobbying the government in order to try and influence mps and therefore kind of the government, and influence policy in their favour. So it might sound like it, but we should point out that not, it's not illegal. None of this is illegal, at least as long as it's all done um, in the right way and it's registered. And it's, in understanding why it is legal, we should probably kind of point out that we're not talking about anything as direct as like a company sending a cheque to an MP uh, with the direct understanding that means they'll vote a certain way on a specific upcoming piece of legislation. That would very much be illegal. But lobbyists try to influence parliamentarians more indirectly, and, and it works in lots of different ways. You know, it might be just sending them research papers, briefing documents or, or delivering presentations that kind of try and put forward, you know, a particular case mm-hmm. or, or at least to try and give background to try and inform their decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think we can probably all agree there's not a great deal wrong with that. We expect MPs to be able to discern using that information, how much of it is true and how much of it is slightly favourable to them. But we also talk about lobbyists kind of providing gifts and whining and dining uh, MPs, shall we say, um, inviting them to glamorous events like the Brit Awards, for instance, or, you know, big sporting events. It even extends to, you know, employing MPs, directly employing them as members of staff. And MPs can take on jobs working for companies directly or, as we talked about, kind of lobbying firms that are set up specifically to lobby. And a lot of people, including the um, MPs Standards Committee, think that... Something needs to be done about that, really. that the, At the very least, those kind of second jobs should be, uh, if not outright banned, then certainly kind of looked at in depth and, and the rules changed around them.
0: Okay, so what are the current rules for MPs when it comes to receiving gifts from private companies or individuals?
1: So, <laughs> they're, they're kind of vague in, in some places, but, but it's, firstly, MPs have to register any outside interests they have. So including other jobs and and shareholdings, even property worth over a certain amount or property that yields uh, rental income. But kind of crucially, they have to uh, register any donations they get, including hospitality and gifts. So they do this in what's called the register of members' financial interests. And before we kind of move on to talking about specific MPs, I just want to point out here that every donation, um, every instance of hospitality that we're going to be talking about these have all been registered by MPs. They've all been kind of declared mm-hmm. within the members, uh, the register of members' financial interests.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the next part of that is that the rules also state that if MPs are going to contribute to a debate relating to you know, one of their outside interests, they should make a declaration about that within the debate itself. So they should kind of make a point of saying something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rules, again, the rules are very vague. And so an MP doesn't have to say, for example... I work for this company, and they do this, which relates to our discussion today. Uh, and they don't have to say, on this date, uh, you know, this company paid me X amount. Mm-hmm. The, all they need to do is say something to the effect of, I draw the House's attention to my entry in the register of members' interests. Um, worth pointing out, that's a publicly available document, although it's, um, it's not the most accessible. It's quite a kind of... Um, it's a very, very lengthy document that changes all the time, and there are issues around accessibility. Mm. But, but it is in theory accessible for the public. So, it, the way it's supposed to work is that they say that, and you go look at their register of interest to see what the relevant interest is. Um, in, in practice, mm. that's not a great system. Uh, many people uh, would 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 say.
0: Okay, so is there a particular reason that the gambling lobby would be, per, you know, more active at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean. Um, it, it's, it's worth saying, I had a conversation off the record with a Labour MP who, joined, who entered Parliament in uh, 2015, mm-hmm. and they said that they'd noticed quite a marked shift since that time. And and since that time, the gambling lobby has become kind of probably the most prevalent, um, probably the most proactive in Westminster. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in, in really recent years, there, there is perhaps a reason that you could justifiably point to and say that might be why, which is that in 2020, December 2020, um, the government, the, the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS, launched a review into the Gambling Act, which was a piece of legislation um, which, which kind of covers, as it suggests, mm-hmm. the rules and regulations relating to gambling in the UK. Uh, and that was a 2005 Act of Parliament. So as you can probably imagine, the gambling landscape has, has changed quite a, a lot since then. And this review was prompted by particular concerns about gambling addiction and also children's exposure to gambling, Um, you know, whether that's through kind of Mm. advertising and sponsorship, particularly in football. I think, you know, as a football fan, you know, listeners will know that you can't watch, you know, you can't watch a game without seeing 10, 15 different betting companies uh, logos come up at various points, and that's before you start getting to
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, specific advertisements about you know a free bet available or special odds on, on whatever it might be. So I think there's been a, mm. a recognition that, that gambling has really become a big part of that sport, and there are massive concerns about it. The, the government was supposed to publish a white paper on this. Um, initially, I think that was due end of 2021, so end of last year, it was postponed, it has been postponed a little bit again, but it is, as we talk now, it is expected next month, so in May. Although it would be interesting if we like revisit this in six months, we may well be saying the same thing then. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me. The point is that campaigners and MPs have been calling for reform for, for quite a long time now. Um, Labour's Carolyn Harris, who is quite a kind of vocal advocate of further reform, secured a debate on gambling-related harm in Westminster recently.
2: For years, myself and colleagues right across this House have faced an onslaught of opposition from the gambling industry. As for them, the status quo is the perfect mix of outdated legislation, weak sanctions and limited scope. But the reality is that the reforms that we are proposing would fix this broken state of affairs. Just last week, Gamblerware, a charity linked to the industry, reported that an estimated 1.4 million people suffer from harms related to gambling, and that gambling has returned to its pre-pandemic levels. According to the Gambling Commission, there are 55,000 problem gamblers, aged 11 to 16. While a Public Health England report found 0.5% of people are problem gamblers 3.8 are at risk and 7% are negatively affected by others gambling the same report estimated that the cost of gambling related harm is 1.27 billion pound annually and it is online gambling In particular, that must be addressed.
1: So I think if we take a closer look at kind of what was said in that debate and who said it, that's probably a good way of understanding why campaigners have, in this instance and and quite often previously, raised concerns about a charm offensive um, ahead of the government's review.
0: OK, so who spoke in this debate and, and what was their take on it?
1: So, excluding the chair and the kind of relevant minister, um, who was the undersecretary at the DCMS, um, there were 11 MPs who spoke. And this, bear in mind, this is kind of a, a debate titled, you know, Gambling Related Harm. Mm-hmm. So, of those 11 MPs that contributed, five of them spoke in what can only really be described as pretty positive terms um, about the gambling industry, um, and certainly mm-hmm. spoke against, warned against uh, further regulation. So one of them was Lawrence Robertson MP, who was keen to stress his concerns about the impact that uh, further reform could have on profits within horse racing uh, particularly.
3: And can I draw the committee's attention to my entries in the register of interest? There's also a further point which has not been mentioned. I, I represent the Cheltenham Racecourse, uh, and 45% of horse racing's income comes from bookmakers So it's extremely important that we tackle problem gambling. One problem gambler is one too many. But isn't that statistic very important when the government considers how to take a balanced approach? Because I know the entire horse racing sport is very, very worried indeed about the potential loss of income in what is not a well-funded sport.
0: OK, so what exactly are the interests that Mr Robertson was referring to?
1: Yeah, I should probably clarify firstly that what he means there when he says that he represents Cheltenham Racecourse is that it falls within his constituency, um, which is which is Tewkesbury. So just a couple of weeks before this debate took place, actually, he was at Cheltenham Festival. And Parliament was sitting at the time. He was provided hospitality tickets on four days, Monday to Thursday. Um, it is worth noting that Parliament doesn't sit on Friday. Those tickets were provided courtesy of the Jockey Club, um, Sky Betting and Gaming and an organisation called the Betting and Gaming Council, which is essentially a lobbying group, an industry representative for the gambling sector. His wife, mm. who is his paid parliamentary advisor, she earns somewhere between 45000 and £49,000 per year. We don't know exactly. She attended with him on at least one of the days. Another staff member was there on another of the days and a friend of his attended with him on, I think, the uh, one of the other days. It's far from the first freebie, I think that's fair to say, that, um, that he's had from the gambling industry and kind of related organizations. But his links go deeper than that, I suppose, really, deeper than you know hospitality or gifts. He actually has a part-time job for approximately 10 hours per month working for the Betting and Gaming Council, which is the the lobbying group we mentioned uh, just now. Mm -hmm. So they pay him £2,000 a month or about £200 per hour for that job. And it's worth pointing out that although the government has generally not said it's going to ban second jobs... um, the closest they've come to talking about any kind of ban is a ban on exactly the kind of job that he does, which is as a parliamentary adviser, because the, the concern is that mm-hmm. essentially what they're paid to do is tell people how to game the parliamentary system.
0: We heard Robertson declare his interests there, but not all the MPs who contributed to the debate did the same thing.
1: Yeah, so let's, um, we'll focus on the positives. A few more did, uh, firstly. Uh, so, so they included Aaron Bell, MP. Of members' interest and it would
3: also only be right to draw everyone's attention to the fact that before I came to this place I was employed by Bet365 between 2006 and 2019. Uh, I haven't come to this place to be a spokesperson for the gambling industry obviously but I hope that the experience I have of the industry uh, I can use to inform the house in these sorts of debates uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about Bet365 later in my speech. Uh, they're obviously a major employer in Newcastle under Lyme and uh, I see two colleagues from Stoke-on-Trent here as well uh, and they contribute a huge amount uh, to the local area and to skilled jobs in the area, and I'll come to that later.
1: So, as we just heard, he used to work at Bet365 for for around a decade, or perhaps slightly more, I think. Um, But he's also received hospitality tickets. Um, He got tickets to three matches at the Euros, uh, all Wembley, last year, and then tickets to the Brit Awards this year, uh, courtesy of the gambling lobby. Uh, collectively those tickets just in the last year were worth uh, almost £10,000. Uh, there was also Jonathan Gullis, MP. To
3: obviously agreed to allow me to do this, so I do apologise because my honourable friend from stoke on trent south saw the, kept my, the clock ticking down on me. I was unable and forgot to uh, register my... Uh, i draw members' attention to my register of interest for the £540 worth of four match tickets to Stoke City versus Fulham at the Bet365 same in general. I do apologise to all members for that.
1: So along with other MPs from the Stoke area um, and the DCMS minister, Gullis visited uh, Bet365's HQ the week before this debate actually took place. Um, And after he'd made his contributions, uh, an MP who who did speak in favour of reform and kind of generally against the industry, uh, an SNP MP named Ronnie Cowan, he accused Gullis of reading from notes which were provided, uh, he said, directly by Bet365. I have to say, uh, I'm pleased that people have come here today to talk on behalf of the Garmigan. Too often we talk in a silo, and we don't really hear what other people have got to say. But I'm glad they've come here and they've spoken out and expressed themselves so eloquently and read their Bet365 briefing so beautifully. Because
3: yeah, that's it's, absol- no, it's absolutely no, true. I sat not here not on what you watched your write so. beside you. That's not fair, sir. Let's just pick off a few things. Very grateful to John for giving way. He refers to a briefing that I was reading, Miss Reese. Indeed, I was reading a briefing that was presented to the minister when he came on his visit to explain what the industry was doing, which is forming part of the Gallon review. I don't see why it's bad. To be able to get a briefing from companies sharing what they're doing at the end of the day—really ludicrous in the honourable gentleman. Uh, as I said, a, betting, a briefing from Bet Three Six Five, which is exactly what it was. For the minister. a couple of things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't about who it was voting
1: for? It's a briefing. It's a briefing from Bet you know Three Six so,
3: we'll, we'll, we'll Five. So
1: we'll cover that in a minute. We're wasting, Thank you. We're wasting time.
2: Thank you.
0: MPs are allowed to contribute to a debate on gambling harm even if they've got a job with a lobbying group or if they've received gifts from a gambling company so long as they say I draw the house's attention to my entry etc. What happens if they don't do that?
1: Well we have a test case so uh, in that same debate Craig Whitaker, MP, um, also spoke at, at quite significant lengths against the kind of reforms that Carolyn Harris and others are advocating. Mm-hmm. But unlike the other MPs who, who kind of spoke broadly on that side of the debate, who were recipients of gifts or hospitality from the sector, he didn't make a declaration at the start of the debate, and campaigners say that he should have done, um, you know, because a gambling firm gave him a ticket worth more than £3,000 to watch England versus Denmark in the semifinals of the Euros at Wembley last year and you know it, it probably doesn't need spelling out but those were quite hard to come by and so you would imagine that that might endear you to someone um or, or something in some way were they able you to kind of give you that um so it was a really nice gift to receive
0: so is there a consequence for him failing to do so
1: yeah it's, it's highly unlikely at this point the cleanup gambling campaign wrote to the parliamentary watchdog about it Um, But in a response that that was seen by National World, it wasn't an officially published response. Someone from the Standards Commissioner's office said that an investigation was was unlikely, basically, uh, very unlikely, because Whitaker only spoke in, I think the the words they used were, broad terms. Mm -hmm. Maybe unsurprisingly, campaigners are kind of less than happy about it. So we're about to hear from Clean Up Gambling's director, Matt Zab-Cousin, and one of the main issues he took with... Whitaker's contributions, particularly given that he ha- didn't have to declare a link with the gambling industry, is that they were perhaps, as he might put it, kind of parroted from the, the industry or from the lobby, but also that they're not really that valid a point. So without going too much into it, as it's all a bit mm. complicated, he compared an approach of reform in the UK to, to what's gone on in, on in Norway, where campaigners say it's just not, you can't make a direct comparison there because of the way that the gambling Industry is structured that basically it's a complete state monopoly. So everything that doesn't go directly through the state is classed as a black market, whereas here that wouldn't necessarily be how we think of it.
3: Well, no wonder Parliament is such a hotbed of corruption when it's not a requirement to declare hospitality for Mentane before parroting their lines in a Westminster Hall debate. I mean, this should be even more the case when MPs are making such easily falsifiable claims on behalf of a sector's commercial interests. I mean, some of the things that were said. Uh, in that passage such as we have a much lower gambling problem than our neighbours and comparing uh, the British market, the the landscape here to to the Norwegian market when trying to hype up the threat of the black market when Norway is a state monopoly. uh, All of these things are just clearly uh, an example of an MP that's effectively acting as a de facto lobbyist for a, a particular sector or entity in Parliament. And it just shows that the, the Standards Commissioner is, is not fit for purpose if it sees this as okay.
0: What is the next stage of the Gambling Act 2005 review?
1: So a white paper is due to be published soon. Uh, as we said up top, that that could well be subject to change, but um, I think the the minister last said that it was very, very imminent, um, and that was kind of end of March, so we are expecting May. Um, but obviously, you know, a white paper is just the very first step in making changes to, to legislation, so there's plenty more time for for those changes to be made to anything that, you know, even if it appears in the white paper, there's no guarantee that it makes it through to whatever changes do come to the legislation uh, through the through the review. So essentially what we're saying is there's a lot more time for anyone who is interested in how that review turns out to try and bend the ears of certain MPs.
0: Thank you for joining me today, Ethan. You'll find a series of articles relating to this story on nationalworld.com. You can follow us on Twitter at National World and on Facebook at National World UK. I'll be back again soon with more analysis of the stories that matter.